So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what God has put on my heart. And then we're going to finish with a strong act of worship. Amen? So you guys are able to sit, stand, kneel, cry, run around the room. But what you're not allowed to do is disengage this morning. Don't check out. Don't be done. Don't lose the spirit of worship that's on your heart this morning. You know, my whole life I've gone, I've gone to church since I was 16 years old in my whole life. I've read these things in Acts. You know, where Paul writes and gives the order of church, right? He's the one that lays down the law, like, let's do everything in good order. Let's have, let's have good structure. Let's keep that. And my whole life, people have used that to kind of squash and hinder the spirit of God by calling anything that is spontaneous out of order. And yet what I've never seen in my life is a church that flowed in the order that Paul laid out. They all want to be in order, but none of them flow in that order. The word of God says, let two or three have a word. How many churches do you see today that let two or three have a word? That let those two or three confirm and speak from heaven and let the people judge so that we know the direction that heaven is going? Or do we just have churches, do we just have churches that have a pastor tell you how it is? Are we raising up where we actually trust our brother sisters on our left and our right to defend us? Yeah, we got to have a general. Yeah, we got to have a commander. But we got to trust the soldier next to us that they're equipped. Amen? Amen? And the only way someone gets equipped for a fight is when they fight. You can train all day long, but there is nothing like a real fight to train you. Amen? So I'm going to train you up this morning in just a couple of minutes. Hallelujah. Jesus. I'm just warning you guys right now. If you've got kids in the room, what I'm going to talk about is exceptionally sensitive. So if you didn't send them to children's church, don't be mad at me. Because I'm going to talk about things that are real today. Amen? Amen? It's not light. It's not fluffy. It's not fun. But it is beyond necessary. And if I don't say it, you, don't, you won't be able to walk in the fullness of what God has for you this morning. So I've given you the disclaimer that we are talking about serious matters this morning. Amen? I want to read you John chapter 6. Fade the pads down. Out of John chapter 6, if you have your Bible with you, fade it down. Don't just kill it. Out of John chapter 6, I want to read to you. This is what it says in John chapter 6, verses 1, and I'm reading out of my uh, Messianic Bible. Afterwards, Yeshua went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they were watching the signs he was performing on the sick. Say miracles. Jesus was performing miracles on the sick. I want you to catch this. The lame were walking. Leopards were being cleansed. The, the, the people that, that uh, were in wheelchairs were no longer in wheelchairs. Understand, those that were deformed were no longer deformed. God was healing the sick. How many of you guys want to see more sick 
healed in this season. So a large crowd followed because there were miracles happening. They were followers. Because they were watching the sign that he was performing on the sick. I want you to understand what was happening here this morning and what Crystal was even saying, that attendance is not enough anymore to qualify you for the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. You guys need to understand that the only people that attended more or attended as much than the disciples did were the Pharisees. You guys understand that second to the, Phari- second to the disciples, the Pharisees listened to Jesus preach more than anyone. They followed him everywhere. He went and listened to everything, yet they were not in his fold. Attendance in church is not the qualification for the saved. It's not the qualification for the called, and it's not the qualification for those that are accepted. If you think that you are, your walk with God is at the level it needs to be because you have not missed a service, there is no star on the attendance board here at this church. But if you miss, I'll call you out on it. (laughs) Where you at? So they were watching the signs and wonders that happened. And so because of it, they followed. Some of us are at that place where we've seen God move. And so we've made a decision. We will follow you. So is that the extent of our faith with God? Let me tell you the six phases, the six steps of a follower. And I've said this once before. The six steps when you, to, to uh, um, your relationship with God. The first step is you believe. The second step is you become a disciple or a follower. The third step is you become a servant. You decide, that's it, I'm going to serve you. I'm not just going to follow, I'm going to serve. The fourth step is you decide, I'm a friend of God. And you become his friend, not just a servant, but a friend. You enter into a personal relationship And the fifth step is you become a son of of heaven, a son of God. Daughter, son. But the sixth step is that when you transform from a son into a bride and the church comes together and we become the bride of Christ. Those are the six levels of intimacy and relationship with God that you can have. And so at this point, because he was doing miracles, they decided to enter in to that follower category, that second step, disciples. But I want you to see what happens here. Then Yeshua went up on the mountainside and sat down there with his disciples. Passover, the Jewish feast, was near. Lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd coming to him, Yeshua said to Philip, Jesus said to Philip, where will we buy bread so these may eat? Jesus said this. Now Yeshua was saying this to test him, for he knew what he was about to do. So we know the rest of this story, right? They find a little boy with a lunch and they break it and multiply it. They break it and multiply it. In fact, it says here in the scriptures that they break a little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. So he has everyone recline, he feeds them, and then he asks them to go and gather up all the leftovers. So in verse 12, he says, gather up the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they gathered, gathered them and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves. Say 12. 12. I want you to understand that the number 12 is a governmental number. So this was no accident that suddenly God was coming. And not only did he feed the people, but he made sure there was one basket per disciple that was his core disciple. 
12 baskets full, a governmental authority number that says, I have come with bread from heaven, from the kingdom of heaven. I've come with something from heaven to take authority on earth. I want you to, to realize what happened after this. <laughs> In verse 15, or verse 14, I'll start there. It says, when the people saw the signs that Yeshua was performing, they began to say, this is most certainly the prophet who is to come in the world. Realizing that they, what they were about to come and seize him by force and make him king, Yeshua withdrew again to the mountain to himself alone. So they see these signs and wonders, these miracles, and they follow. But then he turns everything in, from bread into more bread and fishes into more fishes, and he begins to multiply the food, and now they want to make him king. They only wanted to follow him when the lame were walking, when the deaf could hear, when the blind could see. They wanted to follow and watch what was happening. But when he could multiply bread, all of a sudden they were going to force him to be king. Not ask him, not beg him, not bug him, force him to be king. You ever heard of something like that? No, you have to be king, but I don't want to be. I don't care. We're not giving you a choice. Tell us what to do. No, I won't do it. Tell us now. Can you imagine? How'd you become king? They forced me. They threatened to kill me if I won't be king. How do you force someone to be king? Can you imagine the level of commitment they had at that very moment that they were at all costs? We don't care if he says no, we're making him king. That he had to get away from them. What an indictment. But it's in a governmental mode where Jesus pours it out. Let me tell you something. There are always going to be people that will watch when miracles happen. But there are always people that are looking for free bread. And they'll give up their sovereignty and their freedom for free bread. You need to recognize what the world has turned us into. The sin that is in your life. The plague that is on mankind, the curse of Adam, was that he must toil the ground to pull out of it. And here was a man that when he came, did not have to toil the ground. And for the first time in their life, they saw someone that was not under the curse of Adam. Mankind has wanted to break the curse of Adam. It is inherent inside of us to know that sin is wrong. That the curse is wrong. And that we should not have to toil the ground. And here is a man that will offer us free bread. And it is instinctive on mankind to surrender to him who will give us free bread. And the question is, are you going to surrender to the one that gives bread from heaven? Or are you going to surrender to the one that gives bread of the world? We have a society with divided lines. I'm not getting political here, but I have to say what the word of God says. There are people that have given up their freedom and sovereignty for a free bread. For a card that offers them free food. Amen? Amen? I'm not saying we don't need help sometimes. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't. I'm not getting political. I'm talking to the heart of us. What are we willing to trade our freedom for? And is it worth it? I'll tell you this. I will trade my freedom to Jesus any day for his bread. For the bread of life. I am not afraid to give up my sovereignty for his but I will not trade my sovereignty for a false narrative, for a false spread, for a false filling.
The world will fill you and leave you hungry again. Only God can fill you so you never hunger or thirst again. His manna does not need to be replenished. It just needs to be taken over and over again. And I'm telling you right now that we're in a season right now where we have to ask ourselves. We're on a breaking point in our nation, in our faith, in our culture. That we are right here and we will drift to a place we don't want to go. You see, there are other nations that this morning lay heavy on my heart because they are past that breaking point. They have drifted over in the area where they have given up everything. I need you guys to catch this because I want you guys online that are watching, that are watching me from around the nations to know that my heart is with you today. That our hearts are with you today. And that what you face, you do not face alone, but you face, face with my intercession. There are nations today that as you watch this broadcast in your nation, you know that what I'm saying is that today if you choose the bread of life, you may give up yours. And I want you to know that if I could find a way to get in a box and be smuggled over there to be with you, I would. And I might just. I want you to understand that I've come up on this stage and I've told you how blessed we are that this service, that what I preach is seen by a million people a week in the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the region of unreached people groups, many Muslim Nations, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Dubai. I get messages on my WhatsApp every single week from people asking for me to pray or telling me how they watched my sermon and they came to faith in Jesus. Praise God. But see, we need to recognize, you're like, Pastor Man, you're pretty hardcore. I'm trying to turn us into some Navy SEALs up in this place. Let me tell you what, you know, in the Navy SEALs, when you've had enough, you ring the bell. I call the bell my messenger. People message me when they want to ring the bell and say, I tap out, I've had enough. I tell you what, most of the people that are training to be elite with me tap out as soon as correction comes. My feelings are hurt. Tap out. I don't like that you corrected me. Tap out. You saw an area in my life that I could grow. Tap out. Why? Because I feel like you don't love me. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't correct you. I would say nothing. I'd just pat you on the back and say, nice to see you today. Keep her away from me. Some of you are like, that's all you ever say to me. I just don't know you yet. Just come, just come beat me a little bit. I, I promise I'll correct you this morning. Don't feel bad. I'll, do, I'll say something. You did something wrong. Okay, I'll, I'll let you know. Don't feel bad. I want you to understand this because I have a burden on my heart that I cannot shake. And I'm trying to preach through it. That there are a million people in the 1040 window that watch this broadcast, that have come to faith in Jesus because I said, because I proclaimed, because I laid my life down to share the gospel with them and they laid their life down. But I want you to understand that I take it very serious that they're today, right now, today, there are people gathering in Afghanistan for church that they know if they gather, they will give up their life. 
They have given up their safety to worship Jesus. And there are people this morning that gave up worshiping Jesus for their safety here. I'm not criticizing anyone that stayed home with the yucks. Thank you for keeping us safe. I'm saying there has to be a different level of understanding today. I have to realize this, that something I've preached on this pulpit to you while you said amen has literally cost someone their life today. There is an Afghani today that has listened to my message that was probably one of those people in the videos that were sent to me of bodies laying in the street dead because they worship Jesus. I saw the videos where people were just driving around the street and there were bodies everywhere in Afghan because they were drug out of their homes because they either supported the U.S. military or they supported Jesus. That the Afghan, the Taliban went into the secret police. The first place they stopped was the secret police and they collected all the files that the secret police were keeping on Christians. And they started going to their homes and dragging them out and killing them. They didn't kill everyone. My teenagers need to hear me real quick. They didn't kill everyone. They drugged the parents out and they shot them in the street. And then they took the teenage girls and they gave them to the Taliban as sex slaves. That happened today. It happened this week. Some of our teenagers are afraid to stand up for Jesus because when they go to school, they're worried if their friends will like them. There are teenagers your age. Right now, they're not worried about whether their friends will like them. They're worried about standing up to Jesus means they're going to be sold into sex slaves. And their parents will be killed in front of them. There has to be. You ask me why I'm so serious and I'm so hardcore. Because if I don't train you right, this might be our future. Don't tell me it can't happen here in America. Everything I see, every red flag on the television says it's coming. If we just stand back and stay asleep, it'll come to us like it did to them. To my Afghan brothers and sisters, don't be asleep. You counted on the military to be your rescue when it's always been Jesus. Preach the gospel even bolder in this season. And that statement right there will cost one of you your lives. And I take it serious that we counted on a government to keep people safe, brothers and sisters in Christ safe in a nation. I want you to understand what happens when the U.S. military pulled out. The Taliban took the nation without a shot fired from the Afghan military. They didn't fire a shot. Do you know why they didn't fire a shot? I'm sure they fired a few, but there was no war. Do you know why? Because our military was no longer paying them. Our government stopped paying them. So they were unpaid. They weren't getting any money. And guess who offered payment? You will take somebody's bread. You will make someone king that offers you the bread. You will demand someone to be king that just offers you bread when you are hungry. What are you hungry for, church? Whose bread are you taking? A military unpaid took the bread of the enemy 
so that they could be fed. And today, Christians are dying. Do you understand that what I'm saying today may cost someone their life? Why are you so hardcore? Because life and death is on the line. Life and death is on the line this morning. Do you understand that? That I carry that weight. I got denied for my visa for Pakistan, but I will sneak in that country some way, and you may never see me again and count it all glory. That's not, that's not preacher talk. That's not hyperbole. That's my life because I've given it up and I've laid it down. Everything you see, everything the platform God has given me, it's because I don't care about the platform. I care about his purpose. Pastor Ren, you're getting to be, have such a big platform. People are inviting you all over the world to speak. You're invited on television shows and broadcasts and invited into ma Christian magazines and they want to write articles and they want to give you book deals and all of that. Let me tell you what, I could care less about the influence if I have no impact. Some of us not, need to stop trading our impact for influence. The influence doesn't matter if there's not impact. I want to impact, not influence. There are a lot of people in this world that carry influence and have very little impact. Right? There are a lot of celebrities who have a lot of influence and they got no impact. They are not impacting the world in any significant way. They use their influence improperly. I want impact. I want to change the world. I want to raise up a standard. I want to make sure that our country chases after God. Jesus at this very moment said to them, I have broken the curse of Adam. I am he who makes bread without toiling the ground. Twelve baskets got filled to say the kingdom of heaven is here. The governmental authority of heaven has arrived. My twelve disciples will change the world through the message of Jesus, not through a government military intervention. See, John the Baptist was confused when he was sitting in prison. He expected a Messiah that was going to come and, and, and wage a geopolitical war and overthrow the political system and overthrow Rome. And God said, you don't get it. If I overcome a government with force, then another government will come with force and overcome this one. But what I come with, they can't match. What I come with is heaven, and they don't have an answer to that. In the history of history, we have gone back and forth on who was the greatest empire in the world. If you guys study history, you remember this time when this little country, is a little island called England, ruled the world. You know that? They used to rule the world. Everyone just surrendered to him because their accents were so cool. They're like, yeah, you're so much smarter than us. You should rule. Don't act like it's not true. Everything a British person says is just instantly smarter. They did a study, you know, and the same speech given in a British accent made people score like 30% higher on how intellectual it was, and it was like 80% less on the uh, uh, southern accent. True. It's true. Same exact speech, word, word, word for word, delivered the same way by the same person. That's a true story. Okay? That's why they ruled the world. But empires change and go, come and go. Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Rome, right? We've had so many nations, Spanish Empire, so many nations. You know, the Greeks ruled the world at one point, right? Now they just make a really good gyro or gyro. 
Nations rise and fall. And by the same weapons of warfare, they raise up and are, are defeated. But Jesus came with a governmental authority of heaven that could not be overrun. He does not win nations by warfare. Let me say this to you. I realize this is unpopular. I get it. But it's the word of God. We will not win a nation like Afghanistan by military force. We've been there 20 years. I have good friends who served multiple tours over there. You know, today they're having to suffer with trauma of feeling like it was pointless. They're dealing with the struggle of trying to find a point to their service. Nothing will bring a soldier more PTSD than one, the lack of victory, and two, the lack of purpose. If they feel like there was a purpose to their fight, they're willing to sacrifice, but nobody wants to sacrifice for no purpose. I'm not saying there's not a purpose. Here's what I want to tell you. There is purpose. Today it looks hopeless, but I'm telling you right now that there is a movement of Christianity that's happening in Pakistan, in India, in Iran, in Iraq, in China that makes everything that's been sacrificed worth it. Do you know that Afghanistan is the second fastest growing church in the world? Second. Second only to Iran. Third is China. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Persecution. Afghanistan is the second fastest growing church in the world. Persecuted. Today that church will be tested. And here's my question. Are you praying for the persecuted church while we have the luxury to not be? Sure, I talk all the time about how I'm in Facebook jail. Digital persecution. But we know the reality of who's facing real persecution on a different level. Doesn't mean mine's not valid. Doesn't mean yours is not valid. It just means are you praying for those that are suffering worse than you today? Are you praying for those that might give up their life today? And I'm going to say something really unpopular. Because maybe many of you will say this. I have been praying for the Afghani people. I've seen what's happening. My heart breaks and I'm praying for them. Are you praying for the Taliban? Did you pray for the Taliban? Or are you just praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because the word of God tells me to pray for my enemies. Are you praying that they encounter Jesus? That when they're on the way to go persecute the Christian, that they'll have a Paul Damascus experience and encounter the true love of a real living God named Jesus and stop the persecution and become the preachers instead of the persecutors? what we're going to do? Or are we going to complain from our seats of safety? Or are we going to declare the love of God to a lost and dying world, even to those that are the murderers in this moment? How will we worship our God? What are the weapons of our warfare? We can't sneak over in crates. What good could we do? We don't know the region, but we have power by the authority given us by the governmental mantle of heaven to pray for those that persecute us. Pray for our brothers and sisters under persecution to love our neighbors ourselves. With you, I just think that maybe we need to take a step back and look at the lens of our world through our Christianity instead of through our conservativeness. There is nothing wrong with being conservative. There's nothing wrong with political leanings. I'm not saying that at all. 
I'm saying if we're unwilling to look at heaven first, then we've got off skew. We've got off skew, and I can make a lot of analogies to that. I'm trying to avoid being political in any way. I'm not trying to be political, but I can't help it when politics crosses over into the world where my brothers and sisters that I've preached to are dying. I take that a little personal. I take it a little personal when we have an administration that's left people to die. I take it a little personal when I get messages from Syrian Christians saying, please tell your government to stop trying to take Assad out because he leaves us alone. He doesn't hurt the Christians over here. And we're, not re- we're left alone. They don't like us, but they leave us alone. But the people that they're trying to get to take them out, the Taliban and ISIS and the, tra- the, the freedom fighters, they steal our children and rape them. They're killing us in the street when they get a stronghold on a city. They're not the good guys. I have a problem with an administration that has aligned itself to evil. I have a problem with an administration that is more interested in Muslims killing Christians than in Christians being allowed to live in peace. I'm not getting political. This is not a left or a right. This is God or the devil. Hell has reared its ugly head and it's been allowed to influence our political system. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking corrupt, evil, evil people that have been allowed to influence our decisions as a country. We have to take a step back and realize that we have not been the good guys for a second. Not, not, our, not our policy. Not to them anyways. But what do we do about it? We allow it to happen while we complain without a shot fired. I'm not suggesting we go get real guns. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't, please don't misconstrue that. I don't need anybody saying that. I'm saying, have we warred in the supernatural? Have we prayed? Have we interceded? Have we stood up in our authority and commanded heaven to come? Because our answer does not come by military might. We can go protest. I'm not saying that. We can go appeal to our government to change our policies and circumstances, but evil men will always come and try to take over kingdoms the same way they always had. The only way it changes is when Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus and changes their heart. And as Christians, that's what we should be pushing towards. Every one of you has authority to pray for your enemies. I'm going to say something unpopular as well. How many of you have prayed for Biden? How many of you prayed for him to have a Damascus experience? How many of you have prayed for that administration to see the error in their way? To be taken to heaven and for God to come down and say, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? I say it as somebody who stands in front of you knowing that my words will cost someone their life. Can you hear me, church? Can you hear my heart today? That tonight I have to go to bed and lay down and say, my words, what I said today, may have brought someone to faith in Jesus, to stand when I said to stand. See, there's a scripture in James chapter 2, and and I've read it many times and made jokes about it and use it as that moment where I want to punch Paul in the face, where he says this in James. Or James in the face, excuse me. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Really? Count it all joy. To my friends around the world, in nations where you are persecuted for your faith, where if you walk outside of a safe zone, you'll be killed for wearing a shirt that says the name Jesus on it. We're worried that someone won't like us. They're worried that their life will be over for wearing that shirt. I want to say this to you. Count it all joy. We don't know a world where everything may be taken from us, but I can tell you what they say. This is what they say. They say if they come for our houses and our property to take them from us because they're legally allowed to. Did you know that? That you're illegally allowed in these Muslim countries to go in and kill an infidel and take their possessions because they are an infidel. That you are encouraged to hurt them and, and you're allowed to do whatever you want to them because they are an infidel. It's considered holy and good. So they say this, if they come and take our possessions, all the better that we have nothing to hold us to that we might go and share the gospel. If they come and then take our freedom, all the better we'll have a captive audience to preach the gospel to. And if they come and take our life, then we will receive the reward we wanted anyways. How many of us can say that that is us and our faith? How many of us can say that we're willing to make that sacrifice and to do it, counting it as joy? If I do nothing else this morning but encourage you and put a burden in your heart to pray for those that are persecuted, then I've done my job this morning. But I want you to understand that our church is a privilege. Our worship is a privilege. The fact that we get to come in here, and even many of you have been to other churches, you realize that you could not worship the way you worship here, there. That they don't want you in their church. You're a little bit too serious for them. You can join the military, but they're only looking for administrative positions. Oh, you're one of those that likes to fight. Mm, we don't like all that violence. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You need to understand that there is a war around you. You, you don't have the luxury of sitting it out. Let me tell you the one thing I never do. I, you will never hear me walk up to you and say, how's your day? Oh, the devil's just been really attacking me. You never hear me say that. You know why? Not because the devil never attacks me. Because I expect him to defend himself once I start swinging. He's not no fool. He puts up his guard. I'm the one on the offense. I'm the one taking ground from him. God has given me a promise and I don't care how many giants are in that land. I'm going to go get it. And some of us need to carry that. That you need to understand that when you worship, it's an act of armoring up and getting yourself prepared by what's ahead for you. I want you to get it. 
I've said before, I will take you on mission trips. We go around the world. I want you to understand that next week I will not be here. I expect you to be here. Why? Because I need you to cover me. I need you to understand this. Oh, Pastor Ren's not going to be here to preach. We can skip this week. You better start learning to get off the pews and cover me. If you won't go with me, then you better show up here and cover me. I'm going to L.A. Then I'm going to New York. Why? The two most persecuted places in our country right now, in this country. It's the two places that the gospel and the church is the most repressed. So I'm going to go in there. I haven't figured out who can ship me in a crate over to Pakistan yet, but I can figure out how to get to L.A. and New York. Amen? I have, I have friends that are, I won't even say their names, but they got on a plane and they left and you know where they're at today. They haven't announced it or anything, but they're in there. They, they went there. People that I know personally, people that I've preached with and done services with and conferences with, they're over there right now. Okay? I have, I have somebody, I won't call him a good friend, but I've done ministry with him and I know his heart. I'd like to be a good friend. We're just new friends. But he's over there right now. He's there right now. Trying to get people out. Why? Because he's been there a bunch and those are his friends. He's there right now. He snuck in. He's there. And I can tell you, I can't tell you the details, but I can tell you that he is going through his own life turmoil. He's in the middle of a ministry break because he's going through his own warfare in his own life that he needed to step back and take a break. But when he saw the persecution over there, there was no way he could stay out of that. So he left. And he may or may not come home. And I don't say that as pastor talk to stir up your emotions. He almost didn't come home last time when an when, when, when administration that was for that country was in office. He almost didn't come home. He was lucky to get out of the country that time. He was locked up in a steel container for 40 hours. And the place they sent him to, people don't come back from. In, in the freezing cold with no heater, in a steel container for 40 hours. Till finally, somehow, some miraculous way, somebody in the government got him out. During a good administration. Now he snuck over there. This is what it looks like. Oh, that pastor, he just gets a lot of money from tithes and offerings. And Look at him on his big platform. I want a platform like him. Well, his platform may cost him his life today. Are we praying for those that are doing that? I'm appreciative of those that don't just get on television and complain. Do you know, do you know we have so many political pundits and you can watch the news and they, and they will get on there and they will rightly criticize what's happening. They will rightly criticize what's happening. But you know who I have respect for today? Politics aside, just as a human being today, and I don't care what his political leanings are. You give, me, you give me someone that's way left liberal, and I'll say the same thing today if they were doing this. Glenn Beck. You know, he raised $22 million in a couple of days because he has a plan to get refugees out of Afghanistan where our military is not so that he can speed up the process and find them. $22 million. He's not on TV complaining about the administration. He's just simply filling the hole they're not. A news guy. 
said, I can't just report this. I have to do something. He says, I don't just want to report the news. I'm going to become the news. How do we live? Do we complain about our circumstances? Do we complain about the problems? Or are we becoming the solution? Colin's been taking people out as you go and teaching them to witness in the streets and go to Walmart and go to the mall and just walk around and share the gospel with Jesus. And we've seen so many people come to Jesus and so many of you guys have stepped up and said, I want to do that. But there are some of you that still say, I'm a little too scared to do that. I want you to weigh that. I want you to weigh your fear of someone not liking you or making fun of you to what's happening to our brothers and sisters around the world right now. And ask yourself if the repercussion of you sharing your faith is worthy of your response. And if maybe your response requires repentance. I want to tell you this, that every single move of God, every single revival started with the shrink back. It started with the withdrawal. Every single revival. I was on with Kim Moss. I had her on my broadcast the other day and she said, in her book, she said, revival looks like Gideon. And when I read that and I talked to her about it, like my heart exploded and I realized that's our story. We are Gideon. This church was thriving and growing a big army. We were a two-year-old church plant and we needed to figure out if we were going to go to a second service or take over the gym side for a bigger sanctuary. We had no altar call spaces and there was almost no room to walk because we needed chairs for every inch. In two years, we blew up and this place was full wall to wall. We couldn't fit them all in an Easter. In two years, and the power of the Holy Spirit showed up here. He showed up and showed off and people got off the train and they exited the building. As he poured out, they poured out the door. And we shrunk back and I think about Gideon's army and how God came to him and said, oh, you got a lot of soldiers, that's too many. I need you to get rid of the ones that are afraid. I can't fight with those ones because somebody that's not afraid is gonna trust that guy to watch their back and they're gonna get killed. So I'd rather you just get rid of all these ones that are afraid. And he went through and he dwindled down the army and Gideon was like, are you kidding me? We were already outmanned and outgunned completely and you want me to get rid of soldiers? But yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You want us to walk into battle and be defeated? I'll die for you. Gideon understood that it was getting worse, not better. This is the story of our church. And pretty soon it dwindled down till, till God came to Gideon and says, send them down for a drink and let's find out who's really thirsty. And those that had manners about their drinking, if they got some water and brought it to their mouth, goodbye, I'm looking for those that will just stick their face in the water and drink as if they were going to die and do not care what the world thinks of them or what their neighbor thinks of them or how unmannered they are. I don't care. I want some thirsty people in this place that will drink when I say drink and do not care about their manners anymore. The church has been mannered for far too long. Everything in good order. 
And we stand back and say, well, I don't want to have bad manners. And you miss the manna. We've traded manners for manna. And God is saying, who will just lap up the water that I give them in this hour? Those are the ones that I can use, the thirsty ones. The church has survived too long on just the hungry. What I found is this. You know, I can eat a lot one day a week, and I can fast six. You know, I could do that for a long time. Did you know that? But I can't do that with water. So many of us fast the living bread of God all week long. And then we fill up on Sunday, and we say that's enough to hold us over. And we have nothing the rest of the week. In this season, God's not pouring out bread. He's pouring out water. And you drink it or you dehydrate. I'm telling you right now, the words that came out of the prophetic voices this morning was exactly my message. If we continue to go that route where we are content to live on bread one day a week, I'm telling you, do you not see the red flags that our government does not care about our faith anymore? That our government is content to teach us to live safely by their standards, not by God's. Now, you may agree with that safety, and that's okay. I'm okay with whatever you agree with. I'm totally fine with that. I'm not making a judgment call on being safe or not being safe. I'm asking you this. Are they the standard or is heaven? If God says be safe, be safe. If God says be dangerous, will you? Will you? Will you live on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God and not man? And if you don't hold on to that right, will you still have it later? You will not have it later. I told people today that, that we, the greater things, several people got, got the bug. You guys know what it is. I don't say it because for some reason if you say that word, social media flips out in their logarithms. They got the bug and they said, should I come to church? I'm like, you got the bug? Stay home. Like, we can pray for you. We're going to pray for you digitally. I see people get healed of that all the time digitally. We can be wise. We're, I'm not saying be dumb. I'm not saying be, uh, yeah, stay home. None of us want, none of, that's a, right? All of us are capable of catching a cold or a flu, right? We're not going to be unwise. I'm not telling people to be dangerous. But I'm saying we get the right to make that decision. We get to decide if we come to gather today or not. That's our decision. But we're coming to a place where other people are going to make that decision for us. Or we won't be able to get their bread. Do you understand that? That this story that I read to you out of John chapter 6 is the same story we read in Revelations when there comes a day that without their approval, you don't get their bread. And that day will come, whether we resist it or not. The question is, will you just allow it to happen or will you war with everything that heaven has put inside of you? Will you worship God with it? See, it is a privilege to come up here and worship. And worship team, I want you to come. It is a privilege to come up here and worship. 
It is an honor to come up here and war. So this is what I want us to do. While we have the freedom to worship, while we have the freedom to war, will you worship this morning? Will you war? Will you pray? Will you intercede for those that don't this morning? Will you stand in the gap and intercede for those today that their worship will cost them their life? We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.